Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Marco. I serve as the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse McAllen. It's a joy to be with you this morning. Uh, got a couple of things for you in case that you didn't hear LC. We're going to find ourselves in Acts chapter 2. We're looking at one verse today, and that's verse 42. So while you open or load your Bibles, got a couple of things for you. The first one is that if you're new, we have these Connect cards. They're on the chairs before you. Man, fill one out. We'd love to take you out. We'd love to hang out, whether it's for lunch or coffee or even dinner. Drop it in the Connect desk, which is in the back, and one of us will get with you so that we can set that time up. In addition to that, if you don't have a Bible, we have you covered. We want to hook you up with God's Word, right? And so uh, we have those also on the chairs and in the Back Connect desk. Uh, take one with you. That's our gift to you. Or if you know someone that would benefit from having God's Word in their hand, hook them up and take one with you. Finally, here's the, here's the last update. I've had a lot of coffee, so I'm trying to slow it down. Um, the last announcement, and you're going to begin to see this on the videos as the weeks start to roll out. The last announcement is concerning our fall membership class. And so I'm going to give you the date and time, and then I'm going to give you two reasons as to why many of you should be there. So number one, uh, the date is September 19th. That's two Sundays from now. September 19th from 1 to 4 p.m. We used to do two weeks uh, of this class. Now we're just going to hammer it out in one go. So that's from 1 to 4 p.m. It'll be here at the incubator. Child care will be uh, available. Lunch will be provided for that time. Now let me tell you why you should be there. Uh, number one, if you are new and you've been checking out Storehouse or if you've had questions about Storehouse McAllen, it's a wonderful time for you to be there uh, so that you can know who we are, uh, our beliefs, um, our, our, our mission, our culture. Uh, you could ask questions about what we do. And, uh, and so it provides you with a little bit more clarity as to what this is all about. In addition to that, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be a member, but you are curious about uh, our vision, our mission, our teaching, or our beliefs, I should say. So that would be number one. Number two, here's, here's a little bit more of a, uh, of a lengthier statement. <clears throat> Many of you who, who call Storehouse McAllen home, I'm thankful for you. I love y'all. And uh, you've been incredibly faithful to our church and our congregation over the years. That being said, many of you, the last time you attended a membership class when, was when we were Logos McAllen, right? It has been almost five years since we have replanted our church by God's grace. So with that being said, if the last class, the last membership class you attended was in the days of the Batcave or the old building on Harvey, then you should be here so that you are updated, almost like a covenant renewal, so that you are updated on our mission, our values, uh, doctrine, all of those different types of things. If you're wondering, man, I don't no, when the last time I went, then you should be here, right? That should tell you everything you need to know. You should be here, right? If you've attended a membership class in the time of Storehouse McAllen, not talking to you. You're cool. You're awesome. Thank you, right? The, but you may be asked to help out with lunch and childcare, right? <laughs> uh, but apart from that, th those of you who it's been a long time, and we're actually going to 
keep this rhythm going for about the next year and a half just to bring everybody up to speed so that we make sure everyone is on the same page with the mission, vision, and values of Storehouse McAllen. Uh, and let me just say, some of y'all's membership covenant, like it, it goes all the way back to the back cave. Some of you don't even know what that is, and that is okay not talking to you. But uh, back in 2008, it literally was an email. Would you like to be a member? And it was checkbox. I've seen it. LC and I have seen those emails that we printed, or those, yeah, those emails that we printed, probably emails that you still have that technically don't exist anymore. Okay, and then we upgraded to half a page that said, this is what our church is about. Some of y'all's signatures there, that was 2009. That was a long time ago. We are a new, new church. So if you get uh, emails as a member, or if you're like, I've never gotten an email, you should be in this class. So that's, that's as far as I'll go, but I just wanted to give you all of those details. If you're new or you've been with us uh, been a part of our congregation for many, many years. Definitely encourage you guys to come. That's September 19th from 1 to 4 p.m. We're going to redo this again in the spring and then again in the summer, all until we get everybody brought up to speed. Because quite frankly, it is easier to just have everybody in one class give you all the things that are going on in our church instead of hunting you down and saying, hey, are you a member? Uh, that's probably not the best word, pursuing you. Um, so anyway. That, uh, that's it. That's the announcement. September 19th from 1 to 4 p.m. All that being said, this morning we're going to continue our series on the church, that is the, the glory of God on display as we uh, examine the last half of Acts chapter 2. And so for a moment, allow me to bring you up to speed on why we're doing this brief series on the church and some of what we covered last week. Uh, primarily, this series serves as a wonderful reminder that Jesus loves his church. Jesus is committed and fully devoted to his church. Therefore, when we gather to worship him, we gather as the fruit of his resurrection. We gather as a beautiful display of his glory. And we gather as a wondrous need for him in worship. Secondly, this series serves as the reminder of who we are as the church and what we do. Last week, I unpacked how we were going to approach Acts 2 by looking at the heart of the church, the life of the church, and finally, the mission of the church. Last week, I mentioned that as we look back to 2020, many Christians went to sleep in their faith, and sadly, many are still asleep. Additionally, what plagues the church, among other things, tend to be consumerism, convenience, and comfort. You see, in consumerism, members of a congregation are not generous nor do they participate graciously. Rather, they take what they want and leave. There is no devotion. There is no commitment. And we're not talking about guests or visitors or those who are curious about the Christian faith. When it comes to convenience, the church stands or falls not on the basis of the saving work of Jesus Christ, 
but on whether or not you feel it necessary to commune with God among the people of God. What tends to dictate whether or not you worship or whether or not you commune with God among the people of God is your schedule. What might come up at the last minute. Now, I'm not talking about emergencies, and I'm not talking about what's important. I'm not knocking that. But what I am addressing is schedule when something that sounds better than worshiping God takes place. When hobbies tend to be uh, not just good, but idolatrous. They consume more of our worship. Even wonderful things like family. Well, it's because we have these rhythms in the week and we don't want to disrupt them when it comes to the gathering of believers. When it comes to comfort, it begs the thought of, well, who's going to be there on Sunday? Is, is Marco going to be the one preaching or is it, is it going to be a guest preacher? Because I, you know, I really don't like and the thing is, I've gotten that text. I don't like that you weren't here. Yeah, not my problem, right? We're sitting under the, the preached word of God, right? In comfort, we tend to think, what about the music style? Is it what I like? Is it what I feel? Is it what's going to pull me toward God? Not to say that music isn't important. But again, it, it tends to boil down to whether or not you simply want to be here or commit to the local church. Spoiler alert, there is no such thing as a churchless Christian. They do not exist. Biblically, they do not exist. Tell me what your relationship with Jesus looks like, and I'll tell you what that says about your relationship with the church. Comfort tends to be surrounded around verses of the Bible that are taken out of context so that they would apply to my immediate needs, wants, desires. Oftentimes, those verses are taken out of context to justify not being with the body, not being in community. My favorite, personally, is when I see, particularly in the realm of the online gathering, that is not a real thing. I hope I just bursted your bubble. But I especially love when people say, or Christians will say, well, when two or more, two or more are gathered in his name, he is there. Church, that's about church discipline. That verse comes from Matthew 18. That's about church discipline. It's not about the gathering. See, the church is not a buffet. But some of you treat it like a buffet. I like this, but not that. I'll have a little bit of that, but not this. I kind of like this, but not that. You know, I really don't like the way they're serving in this ministry. They should really do this. I'm going to go over here and eventually complain some more. 
if you treat the church as a buffet, then I'm telling you, no notes right now, all eyes over here. If you treat the church like a buffet, then I am telling you, you are more than welcome to leave. You can get up right now and I won't be offended. At least you're honest. That's not what we're doing here. See, it's not what we're serving. As you can see, a brief series on the church is necessary right now. It's necessary so that we are reminded that Jesus loves his church and Jesus is devoted to his church. And because there are so many plagues that tend to threaten the church, we must push back against them as we are reminded of who we are and what we do. And that brings us to last week where as we opened Acts 2, we examined the heart of the church. We defined the church as a community of believers who gather to worship and exalt King Jesus. And then we looked at the heart of the church saying that at the heart of the church is the message and proclamation of Jesus Christ crucified. As one body, we proclaim one message always. Today, we turn toward the life of the church. If the message of the gospel proclaimed is what the Holy Spirit uses to beckon us toward him, we looked at that in verse 37 of last week in Acts 2. Let me read that briefly. In verse 37, Luke records, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. When they heard the gospel proclaimed, the message of salvation through Jesus Christ, they were cut through the heart. If the message of the gospel proclaimed is what the Holy Spirit uses to beckon us toward him, then it is the same Holy Spirit who helps us live out this life together. So let me ask you a question. What is your perfect church? What is your perfect church? Think about it for a second. More than likely, if we consider your thoughts, then we will find a mix of two things, preference and prescription. Some of you may have prescriptive thoughts that derive directly from the pages of Scripture while others may have some preferential thoughts that come from your experiences. And that's not bad. I want you to know that. That's not bad. But do you realize that they are preferences, though? Do you realize that they are preferences? Another spoiler alert. There is no perfect church. She does not exist. But the Holy Spirit's at work in her. We're going to talk about that in a second. Because in Acts 2, in this one little verse, Acts 2.42, the Holy Spirit reveals to us the church that we all want to be a part of. As Christians, and if you're here and you're not a Christian, this is still the kind of church you'd want to attend. 
In Acts 2, we see the life of a spirit-filled church. Now, let me speak to the term spirit-filled for a moment. Spirit-filled in today's use of the term seems to suggest that in order to be called or labeled as spirit-filled, the church must exhibit certain gifts and ministries and conduct certain rites or rituals. Often to be considered as spirit-filled, it, is me- it means to be carried by emotion and cunningness rather than sound doctrine and discernment that leads us to a life of holiness. I'm not against the term spirit-filled, for the Spirit of God indwells in every Christian. But as we will see in Acts 2, the life of a spirit-filled church is a devotion to the truth of Scripture and to one another. I'll say that one more time because that's the main idea of our time. The life of a Spirit-filled church is a devotion to the truth of Scripture and to one another. So as we approach Acts 2, let us pray So we get our hearts and minds right as we examine God's word, and let's ask the Holy Spirit to guide us in our time throughout this text this morning. God, as we come before you this morning, God, we pray that your Spirit would not just be present among us, but at work within us. That for some, you would beckon them to yourself. For others, that you would convict us and challenge us so that we would approach you confidently. So that we would approach you confidently uh, for the purpose of comfort or for the purpose of repentance. God, for those who know Jesus, I pray that they would come to know Jesus better this morning. And for those who don't know Jesus, may they come and know Jesus this morning. Finally, I pray that your word would be sweeter than honey to us this morning. So we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here we go. I'm going to reread the verse. It's just one verse. It's very short, but we're going to constantly revisit this verse. Here we go. This is verse 42 of Acts chapter 2. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Acts 2 is a beautiful chapter in that we see the dissension of the Spirit of God in the people of God as they devote themselves to the Word of God. I'll say it again because that sounds really cool, right? Acts 2, we see the dissension of the Spirit of God in the people of God as they devote themselves to to the Word of God. This short little verse provides us with the life of a Spirit-filled church. And we're going to see four marks of a Spirit-filled church. These are not the only ones, but these are the ones that we will consider today. When we look back at the text from last week, which was verses 37 and 41, we see that uh, they were cut to the heart through the message and proclamation of the gospel. 
And in that text, we see this miraculous event. If we go back to verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized and they were added to that day about 3,000 souls. In Acts 2, we see this miraculous event of people coming to faith in Jesus Christ, repenting of their sin, being forgiven of their sin, the Holy Spirit indwelling in them. We see them baptized and then committed to one another as the church. In short, we would say that the church exploded in Acts 2. Here in verse 42, we go from this miraculous event to the ordinary life of a spirit-filled church. From this monumental occasion to rhythms. And so let's look and consider at these four marks. We're going to walk through each one as slowly as possible. I won't drink any more coffee. And we'll see how this goes. The first one is that the church is devoted to the truth of Scripture. I'm going to continually reread the text, but as we open verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This tells us that, one, the apostles were teaching from the Scriptures, and as they preached and people were being saved, the church devoted themselves to the truth of Scripture. That is the first mark of a Spirit-filled church, that the church is devoted to the truth of Scripture, which tells us that the church, particularly in Acts 2 and today, the church is a learning church. They are growing in their knowledge of who God is and what God has done for them in Christ. Further, what's fascinating about this is that they just experienced the miraculous but they're not reveling in that previous experience. Rather, it is from that experience that they encounter God in His Word. In the context here in Acts 2, you don't see them thinking through, man, how can we get back to that experience? How can we get those emotions going again? How can we experience that all over again? Man, they use that experience of the Holy Spirit descending upon them and dwelling in them, and they are channeled into life, or excuse me, they are channeled into the truth of Scripture together. And when it comes to signs and wonders, it's not like they stop. We're going to see that in the next couple of verses. We see that in the following chapters. But the purpose of those signs and wonders were to draw people to consider the lordship of Jesus Christ. So that as they came to faith in Christ Jesus, they would now be devoted to the truth of Scripture together. A spirit-filled church is always a Bible church. The spirit, or excuse me, a spirit-filled church is always a Bible church. Those two go together. Sadly, many churches think that those are options. Those two always go together. It feels as though doctrine has fallen on hard times because learning doctrines and theology can sound intimidating. And it's usually one of two things, most of the time, not always. Sometimes it's intimidating. I've got I to read so many books, 
systematic theology, I don't even know what that is, right? Like there's a lot of intimidation that can come with that. And then there, on the other hand, there is, I was trying to come up with a nicer word, like when I was practicing, and I couldn't. There's, there's laziness, right? It's either, man, I, I'm intimidating, and there's some real things to work through there. I'm not knocking that. But then there's also laziness. And so often, many Christians abandon learning altogether. And as they abandon learning altogether, they are tossed by their own emotions, and they know so little about God, and take verses out of context to meet their topics, to meet the needs of their topics, to meet the needs of their emotions in that moment or occasion. But studying theology is meant to help us draw closer to God as we learn more about God and ourselves. Theology, rightly studied, becomes an experience that leads us to devotion and holiness. It leads us to live our convictions out as we better understand them. Last week I told you that as we walked through the series, I was going to pause every once in a while to, to tell you about some of the things that are going on in the life of our church. Because no matter how cool our video announcements are, no matter how often we post on social media, oftentimes uh, I run into some of y'all in conversation, oh, I didn't know we were having that. I didn't know we were doing that. So let me hook you up with a couple of things. This past spring, we started this equipping arm of our church called the Antioch Institute. Some of you have heard of it, some of you have not. I'm just going to tell you the mission of the Antioch Institute. The mission is to mature and multiply disciples of Jesus for everyday ministry. That's it. To mature and multiply disciples of Jesus for everyday ministry. So that means whether you want to pursue ministry or whether you uh, are a coach or a teacher or you work in an office, you're a student, we want to help prep you for all of that. And we do it through theological development. We do it through workshops and internships. The whole point of the Antioch Institute is to make theology available for everyone. And some of you know that we started that in the spring with our spiritual warfare class. And then from spiritual warfare, we did a class on sex and relationships. We make all of that content available to you because you guys have lives and busy schedules, and so we want to make sure we have that content available to you. But in those classes and in those workshops, we have discussion and Q&A and teach on theological matters. This fall, we're working on at least two classes. One is a workshop, a parenting workshop that you'll hear more about later. The other one is where we want to do a class on the doctrine of the Trinity. In the spring, we're looking forward to starting what we called our DOXA program, which is a class that is pretty intense, I think, when it comes to theological development. I'll talk more about that later. But once more, Theology rightly studied becomes an experience that leads us to devotion and the pursuit of holiness. Therefore, we want to make it available for everyone. Additionally, when we look at Acts 2, we see that the church devoted themselves to the truth of Scripture together. 
Yes, we are to learn and grow individually for the Spirit of God dwells in you. And we are to devote ourselves to the learning of theology together. So in that DOXA program, we did a test class with six participants last fall. Right? So I asked six people, six very, very busy people, single parents, multiple jobs, uh, uh, students. We asked a couple of people to participate in this 12-week class to see, <laughs> to see how they could withstand the pressure of reading a lot of books, just to see, oh, this is probably not a good idea. We need to tweak some things. And we did. Uh, <laughs> but apart from that, what you saw was as they began to study theology together, they began encouraging one another, challenging one another, pursuing one another, listening and praying for one another. It was really, really fun to watch. And so I know that for some of you, when you hear about these classes, it sounds exciting, but the first thing you think of is, man, that's just another thing to add to my plate. So hear from me right now, that as these classes roll out, and if you are a part of a group, you don't have to go to your group, tell your group leader so that you can attend the classes. And then when you're done with the class, plug yourself back into a group because you now are more equipped to help your group flourish and thrive and engage God's word together. Because as we see in Acts 2, they devoted themselves to the truth of Scripture together. Together. Secondly, the churches devoted to one another, Luke writes, and they devoted themselves to the fellowship. Well, what do you think of when you hear the word fellowship? Look, I wasn't raised in the church, but every time I hear the word fellowship, I think about Wednesday night potlucks and like four families making like incredible dishes and then this college bro bringing a bag of Doritos. Like that's what I think of. You might have a completely different experience and you're just way holier than I am. Like I'm just, that's what I think of when I hear fellowship. Or when I hear we're gonna gather for fellowship, I think about some church that has a fellowship hall that is used three times a year, okay? So that, again, that's just my experience. It might not be yours, and mine's probably wrong anyway, okay? The Greek word for this, this little word fellowship, you're like, I'm never going to speak Greek. It's okay, right? Just, I'll, I'll do the work for you here, right? Like, when it comes to this little word, this, this word of fellowship, the word is koinonia, and it means to share with someone in something, or to share what is in common. Right? So keep that in the front part of your brain. Additionally, the word koinonia has a very close variant, and that means generous. So we've got two little meanings, right? To share what is in common and generous. Here, a devotion to one another, check it, a devotion to one another begins with a devotion to Jesus. Because the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is the epitome of generosity. So when, when Luke writes that they devoted themselves in fellowship, he means that they gave and shared their time, their resources, and their finances to meet 
tangible needs in the church. In short, they were responsible for one another. This wasn't communism or socialism. This was generosity. Look at verses 44 and 45. We're going to be there next week, but nevertheless, it's good for us to visit them now. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. See, the the Spirit-filled church pushes back against consumerism with generosity. The Spirit-filled church pushes against convenience with the responsibility toward one another. The Spirit-filled church pushes back comfort by drawing closer to one another because of what Jesus has done for them. The generosity is not forced. It is willing. It is a response to what God has done for them in Christ. The Apostle Paul says it this way. Now he's talking about this relationally, but I think it applies Uh, for a moment. He said this this way to the Thessalonians. So being effectually desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. They gave themselves generously, willingly. Needs were met tangible needs were met. Earlier this week, I asked our group leaders to to hook me up with some stories because much like some of those announcements I was telling you about, oftentimes there is life happening in our church, but it almost feels like it's behind the scenes and we often don't get to hear about what's going on. And for the sake of brevity, I'll, I'll give you a couple of things. Through our groups, and here's why I'm so thankful for our groups, because they are on the front lines of care. They're pretty much first responders, and I'll prove it to you, or let me tell you of them, right? But prove it to you at the same time. (laughs) Anyway, earlier this year, you had a single mom who had two kids, has two kids, and lacked appliances, and it was right in like the middle of the pandemic going wild, and everything was closed and shut down. Word got back to one of our groups, and two men, without hesitation, went out, bought all of the appliances, delivered them to her house, installed them for her, made sure they worked, and she was able to take care of her kids without worrying about what is and isn't closed. In in addition to that, at least two groups, three groups, excuse me, at least three of our groups came forward and said, man, we've had individuals in our groups struggle with both suicidal thoughts and suicidal tendencies. And it was really cool to hear that members within that group were the first ones responding to those individuals to counsel them, to sit with them, to pray with them, to walk with them, to fold them into the community so that they wouldn't be alone, and check up on them, providing them with further help. And those individuals are still with us today. 
over the course of this year and particularly last year, we would receive text messages and phone calls about individuals who didn't have groceries, who needed uh, bills paid, rent was due, mortgages, and groups were some of the first responders to help take care of bills, to help take care of groceries, to help take care of the kids. One member in our church, uh, their parents lost their home in a fire, and groups were the first one to respond with physical needs for them. Groups are on the front line. That's what it means to be devoted to one another. That I have some resources that I can give you so that I could help meet your needs. I have time and talent that I can come alongside you and help you do whatever it is that you need to get done. And there's many, many more stories like that that I was provided with. It would be very long, but groups are the front line of care. That's also excluding the really late nights when though you said we were done at 10, it is now 2 a.m. and we're working through a bunch of stuff because it's needed and we have to. And therefore, I'm going <laughs> to sacrifice my comfort of a soft bed to sit down and pray with you. The church devoted themselves to one another. Number three, the church is devoted to meals with one another. I would, I would change this up a little bit. I would say that the church is devoted to rhythms of life, and that includes meals. The breaking of bread that we see here in verse 42 could mean communion, and, th and that is a part of the life of the church. We just observed the Lord's Supper together a while ago. And so that gives us an idea that obviously there are some formal meals that we participate in, but then there are some informal meals, and informal meals at the dinner table are absolutely the best for multiple reasons. I think I've shared this once or twice, a lot of times before. Uh, so I, a couple of friends, other pastors who, who live up north, like North Austin and, and DFW and stuff like that, we tend to talk about the life within the church. And one of the things that they always bring up is this thing called third place. And third place, they would say, or they would define it as, uh, neutral ground for both Christians and non-Christians to, 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 to be there with one another and do life together and hang out. And every time they talk about a third place, I can't help but think that when it comes to the valley, we don't have one. It's always the house. It's always the house, right? The third place is supposed to be somewhere public, somewhere where it's neutral ground and weird, right? But when it comes to the house, everything gets opened up. See, because life is shared over a meal. Because it's one of the, one of the best times that you can have with one another because you're going to grow to know one another, but you're also making yourself incredibly vulnerable over a meal and inviting someone into your home. When you invite someone into your home or you fold them in, they're going to see if you're neat, if you're a slob, 
If you're particular about certain things, when you sit together over a meal, there's that awkward occasion of, are we going to pray or are you going to pray? Are you one of those Christians that does pray? Are you one of those that doesn't before you eat salad? And then on top of that, right, like you get to share more vulnerabilities. Are you an open mouth chewer? Do you actually put your napkin on, right, on your lap? Like what are some things you're going to do? And you grow to know one another in the oddities of life centered around the table. And man, I'm just going to say, I think we do that really well down here. It's all about like food, time, and a table. You got that? You'll know everyone's life story in three hours, right? Meals are a worshipful time, not just because of the oddities that you're going to expose one another to, but because, man, when we come together whether it's in our homes or we go out to dinner or whatever it is, if you take a moment, for instance, right now, if you take a moment to think about some of those meals, you tend to recognize what Jesus has brought together through his spirit or who Jesus has brought together through his spirit. You tend to think about what is it that God has done in this ordinary occasion. Earlier this week, uh, my wife and I went, went out for, for a date night, and, uh, and we were talking, I was talking, about uh, two of our most wonderful saints, Gary and Ann. We were talking about Gary and Ann, and uh, I hadn't told y'all this, I hadn't, so they're in the back. Anyway, um, and so several of us, from the days of the Batcave, were very young, uh, very single, very broke, uh, and, and kind of non-Christian, <laughs> kind of Christian, we're like learning about the church. Many of us didn't even come from a church background. Anyway, and so on several occasions, but on this one in particular, I remember Gary and Ann inviting us over for dinner, and all of us were nervous. And we go, and Gary cooked us uh, a prime rib. Now, none of us had ever even eaten prime rib before. So Gary cooked his prime rib and was serving us, and we wanted to help, and they said, no, sit down. The table was already set, and all we did was have this giant feast centered around this prime rib steak. And that was one of several occasions in which they folded us into their life so that we could start to mature, learn what it was like, to serve, learn what it was like to be committed to one another, and, and grow in our relationships with one another. Now, I'm very thankful for Gary and Ann because, as I mentioned, all of us were in our early 20s, not married, hopefully had a job, right? And here we are, 13-ish years later, where several of us are married, we have children, and the rhythms that were ordinary to Gary and Ann shaped how we live to where now, hopefully, we fold people into our lives just as they did over something so ordinary. That was a very vulnerable time for them. It's like these five 20-some-year-olds 
don't really know what we're doing, but they're folding us into what's going on. Life shared over a meal, yes, you do get to see some oddities, and you do get to share some of those oddities together, but there is much, much more to that meal. About 20% of Jesus' ministry was discipleship, and much of that was centered around a meal. So when we gather for meals, when we go to Roosevelt's and eat all the sandwiches, when we go to one another's house and we're there till 2 a.m., right? It's much, much more than simply having a meal. But it is sharing life together in the context of ordinary rhythms. It is something so ordinary, but God in His mercy and providence does something extraordinary through it. And so I hope we've reflected the hospitality that y'all served, uh, uh, showed us. Our group meets on Friday nights. I've asked my wife that when the guys come over, can I stay up late with them? And she says yes. And there have been many occasions where we have been on the deck till 2, 3 in the morning, crying, talking about hurts and hearts. What's life mean? Those are the, some of the most beautiful occasions ever. Discipleship happens best in the context of ordinary life. And so when it comes to breaking bread together, it's literally in our culture. But it is more than that. It's not anything less, but it is more than that. It is God doing something in the ordinary for the extraordinary. And finally, a devotion to prayer. The church is devoted to prayer. This little phrase has been taken to, to apply in several contexts. For some, when Luke writes, and they devoted themselves to the prayers, uh, some would say, well, he means this uh, prayer overall in worship, for instance, on Sunday morning, that he's just referring to general worship, not just prayer. Some would say this is individualized prayer and maybe one or two people holding them accountable. Others would say that this means that as they gathered in their homes to break bread, as they devoted themselves to one another and the truth of Scripture, they were praying together. Personally, I'm of the belief that Luke means that they were praying together. Praying together is a beautiful thing for multiple reasons, but before that, it's important to know that when we look at it, when we look at the text, he writes that they devoted themselves to the prayers. I don't think he means a general prayer. In other words, he would have simply said that they were devoted to prayer, but he doesn't. Therefore, it is because he writes prayers that it seems to suggest that they were praying specific prayers with and for one another. Listen, praying with and for one another does so many things. It glorifies God because His church is hanging out and glorifying Him. They are coming before Him in confidence. It edifies the church. When we pray with and for one another, we are edifying one another. When we pray with and for one another, it disciples others in how to pray. That was my story. I had never prayed a day in my life until I got in community with other Christians, and they started praying, and I tripped out because one of the guys said, God, I am thankful for Jesus and his blood for me. That sounded weird, not coming from a church background, but I learned how to pray, and I learned what he meant by that. 
Nevertheless, it disciples others in how to pray. It disciples others how to grow in their prayer life. That when, man, someone prays over you, man, you're just floored and humbled and you're thankful for it. And at the same time, man, what does it look like to pray like that? Prayer helps us to slow things down. To humble ourselves. And to depend on the Lord, because as we depend on the Lord together, our delight in the Lord increases. And it is there that the grace of God continually abounds for His church. So in summary, the life of the Spirit-filled church is marked by a devotion to Scripture, to one another, to life rhythms, and to specific prayers. So, so, now what? As we consider Acts 2, isn't this the kind of church we want to be a part of? If you're not a Christian, this is the church you want. This is the kind of church you want. It's the kind you want because it's not one that's going to persuade you through guilt or emotions, but is actually examining the teaching of Scripture so that as you wrestle with what the Bible says, at least they're being upfront about putting it on the table. For those of us who belong to Jesus, this should be the kind of church we want. Briefly, I shared with you the beauty of community with one another. Bible study, meeting needs, meals and life together, and prayer. But what about the messiness of community? I didn't forget. What about the messiness? What about when we sin against one another, when we betray one another, when needs slip through the cracks, when we intentionally isolate ourselves, when there is this distaste for the church? Yes, all of that happens within the context of devotion to one another. But what if, what if we actually believed the scriptures and lived this out, especially when we sin against one another and when we confess our sin to one another? What if we actually forgave one another as Jesus has forgiven us? What if we actually poured out God's grace onto one another, the same grace that we so desperately ask for ourselves? What if, as a church, we strived to kill hypocrisy? What if, as church, Storehouse McAllen, what if we chose to pursue and replace consumerism with the truth of Scripture? What if we pursued to replace convenience with biblical community? What if we chose to replace comfort with generosity? What keeps us? This is us. This isn't the universal church, and this is now us. What keeps us from being this kind of a church? Look at the beginning of verse 42. Luke says, And they devoted themselves. The answer is devotion. 
as a result of what God had done for them in Jesus and what the Holy Spirit was bringing about, they devoted themselves. You see, we struggle in this kind of life because, let's just be honest, we're putting things on the table, okay? We struggle with this kind of life because we're not devoted to one another. Now, to be fair, this does not imply that the church in Acts 2 didn't have any problems or any sin or any issues. In just a couple more chapters, we see many of these things pop up. Additionally, devotion toward one another doesn't happen overnight either. For instance, if you want to get strong or if you want to get in shape, it's going to take time. Just like devoting ourselves to one another is going to take time. But there is at least this deep desire to become this kind of a church. Therefore, we ought to strive toward that with one another. I'm not trying to guilt you into community, and I'm not trying to turn this sermon into something of morality. Do this, not that. Therefore, I'd rather answer the question, how does the grace of God meet our need here? If we're talking about biblical community and a devotion to one another, how does the grace of God meet our need here? The grace of God meets our need by revealing to us our brokenness. Go ahead and individualize it for just a second. He reveals to us our brokenness and that it is through the church that Jesus is reconciling and restoring all things to himself. That it is through the church which he chooses to reveal his glory. That's where he chooses to display his glory. It is through the church. Therefore, as a spirit-filled church, let us acknowledge Together, let us acknowledge our failings and invite God to renew us this morning with His grace. Because here's the good news. God is devoted to you in spite of your lack of devotion. God is for you. And He has shown you this in sending His Son into human history as the man Jesus Christ, who lived the life that we cannot live, that is, without sin. He died our death for our sin in our place and rose from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that dwells in you and saved us with the beauty of His grace that we cannot earn, bringing us and reconciling us together. This Jesus is devoted to you, Christian. This Jesus is is devoted to his church. Author Tim Chester says it this way, we are, that is the church, we are the living proof that the death of Jesus was not just a vain expression of God's love, but an effective death that achieved the salvation of a people who now love one another sincerely from a pure heart. So as we close, Christian. As part of the body, that is our local body, I would say this isn't the time for notes. As part of the body, how are you striving to devote yourself to one another? Is there more complaint than there is confession? 
Is there more worship than there is negotiation? Who do you need to speak to this morning? What do you need to repent of this morning? As you put your sin on the table, Jesus meets you with his grace because he is devoted to you. And if you're not a Christian, I hope, I hope, I really do, that you get a front row seat to the beauty and the messiness of our church. Devotion to Jesus does not happen unless you belong to Jesus. There is no perfect church. You will not find her. Yet Jesus promises you a new heart and the restoration of a people he's reconciling in all of their flaws and all of their gifts for the purpose of revealing his glory. He's ready to pardon all who would turn to him in repentance and put their trust in him and surrender to his lordship. The life of the spirit-filled church is a devotion to the truth of Scripture and to one another. Let us be the church God has called us to be. Amen. <clears throat> God, you have given us life through the Holy Spirit. You have renewed us by your grace. And you regularly remind us that we are your beloved through Jesus. We confess, Lord, that we are not always walking righteously. That we are not always living graciously. And that we are not always treating one another with love and kindness. Would you forgive our hypocrisy, our apathy, our bitterness and our hardened hearts? God, we ask that you would pour your grace out onto us this morning so that we may walk and live in the truth of Jesus Christ as we pursue and devote ourselves to one another. May the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you this morning. Amen.